This recording is brought to you by Ancient History Encyclopedia. Hannibal, written by Joshua J. Mark, and narrated by Nathan Sill, the producer of the Flashpoint History Podcast. Hannibal, also known as Hannibal Barca, was a Carthaginian general who lived between 247 and 183 before the Common Era. He was a general during the Second Punic War, which was a war fought between Carthage and Rome between 218 and 202 BCE. He was considered one of the greatest generals of antiquity, and his tactics are still studied and used in the present day. His father was also a famous general by the name of Hamilcar Barca, who lived between 275 and 228 BCE. Hamilcar was considered the great general of the First Punic War, which lasted between 264 and 241 BCE. These wars were fought between the cities of Carthage in North Africa and Rome in northern Italy for supremacy of the Mediterranean region, and the second war resulted directly from the first. Hannibal assumed command of the troops following his father's death and led them victoriously through a number of engagements until he stood almost at the gates of Rome at which point he was stopped not by the Romans, but through a lack of resources to take the city. He was eventually called back to Africa to defend Carthage from Roman invasion and was defeated at the Battle of Zama in 202 BCE by Scipio Africanus, a Roman general who lived between 236 and 183 BCE. Hannibal retired from service to Carthage, the remainder of his life was spent as a statesman and then in voluntary exile at the courts of foreign kings. He died in 183 BCE by drinking poison. Early Life According to the historian Philip Matizak, quote, There is much we do not know about this man. Though he was one of the greatest generals in antiquity, no surviving ancient biography makes him the subject. And thus, Hannibal slips in and out of focus according to the emphasis that other authors give his deeds and character. End quote. Nothing is known of his mother, and although he was married at the time of some of his greatest victories, no records make mention of his wife other than her name, Emilce, and the fact that she bore him a son. What became of her and her son is not known. The story of Hannibal's life is told largely by his enemies, the Romans, through the historians who wrote of the Punic Wars. The Greek historian Polybius writes how Hannibal's father invited him to join an expedition to Spain when the boy was around nine years old. Hannibal eagerly accepted the invitation, but before he was allowed to join up, his father, quote, took Hannibal by the hand and led him to the altar. There he commanded Hannibal to lay his hand on the body of the sacrificial victim and to swear that he would never be a friend to Rome. End quote. Hannibal took the vow gladly and never forgot it. He accompanied his father to Spain and learned to fight, track, and most importantly, outthink an opponent. Matizak comments how, quote, the modern concept of teenagers as somewhere between child and adult did not exist in the ancient world, and Hannibal was given charge of troops at an early age, end quote. When his father died, command of the army passed to Hasdrubal, also known as Hasdrubal the Fair, who was Hamilcar's son-in-law, and when Hasdrubal was assassinated in 221 BCE, 
the troops unanimously called for the election of Hannibal as their commander, even though he was only 25 years old at the time. Crossing the Alps and Early Victories Following the First Punic War, the treaty between Carthage and Rome stipulated that Carthage could continue to occupy regions in Spain as long as they maintained the steady tribute they now owed to Rome and remained in certain areas. In 219 BCE, the Romans orchestrated a coup in the city of Saguntum, which installed a government hostile to Carthage and her interests. Hannibal decided to march on the city, lay siege to it, and eventually took it. The Romans, of course, were outraged and demanded that Carthage hand their general over to them. When Carthage refused, the Second Punic War had begun. Hannibal decided to bring the fight to the Romans and invade northern Italy by crossing the Alps. He set out with his men and, recognizing the importance of winning the people to his side, portrayed himself as a liberator, freeing the people of Spain from Roman control. His army grew steadily with new recruits until he had about 50,000 infantry and 9,000 cavalry by the time he reached the Alps. He also had with him a number of elephants, which he found very useful in terrorizing the Roman army and their cavalry. Upon reaching the mountains, he was forced to leave behind his siege equipment and a number of other supplies he felt would slow their progress, and then he had the army begin their ascent. The troops and their general had to battle not only the weather and the incline, but hostile tribes who lived in the mountains. By the time they reached the other side, 17 days later, the army had been reduced to 26,000 men in total and a few elephants. Still, Hannibal was confident he would be victorious and led his men down into the plains of Italy. The Romans, meanwhile, had no idea of Hannibal's movements. They never considered he would move his army over the mountains to reach them and thought he was still in Spain somewhere. When word reached Rome of Hannibal's maneuvers, however, they were quick to act and sent the general Scipio, who was the father of Scipio Africanus the Elder who accompanied him, to intercept him. The two armies met at the Ticino River where the Romans were defeated and Scipio almost killed. Hannibal next defeated his enemies at Lake Trasimene and quickly took control of northern Italy. He had no siege machines and no elephants to take any of the cities, and so relied on his image as liberator to try to persuade the cities over to his side. He then sent word to Carthage for more men and supplies, especially siege engines, but his request was denied. The Carthaginian Senate believed he could handle the situation without any added expense on their part, and suggested that his men simply live off the land. Hannibal's Tricks and the Battle of Cannae Hannibal's strategy of presenting himself as a liberator worked, and a number of cities chose to side with him against the Romans. Meanwhile, his victories on the field continued to swell his ranks with new recruits. After the Battle of Trebia, where he again defeated the Romans, he retreated for the winter to the north, where he developed his plans for the spring campaign and developed various strategies to keep from being assassinated by spies in his camp or hired killers sent by the Romans. Polybius writes how Hannibal, quote, had a set of wigs made, each of which made him look like a man of different age. He changed these constantly, each time changing his apparel to match his appearance. Thus, he was hard to recognize, not just by those who saw him briefly, but even those who knew him well, end quote. Once spring came, Hannibal launched a new assault, 
destroying the Roman army under Gaius Flaminius and another under Servilius Geminus. The Romans then sent the general Fabius Verucosus against Hannibal, who employed a new tactic of wearing Hannibal down by keeping him constantly on the move and off balance. Fabius became known as the Delayer by refusing to face Hannibal directly and delaying any face-to-face -face engagement. He preferred instead to strategically place his armies to prevent Hannibal from either attacking or retreating from Italy. So successful was Fabius's strategy that he almost caught Hannibal in a trap. He had the Carthaginians penned up near Capua, where retreat was blocked by the Volturnus River. It seemed that Hannibal had to either fight his way out or surrender, but then, one night, the Romans saw a line of torches moving up from the Carthaginian camp towards an area they knew was held by a strong garrison of their own. It seemed clear that Hannibal was trying to break out of the trap. Fabius's generals even encouraged him to mount a night attack to support the garrison and crush the enemy between them, but Fabius refused, believing that the garrison in place could easily prevent Hannibal from breaking out and would hold him until morning. When the garrison finally mobilized to march out and meet Hannibal in battle, however, they only found a bunch of cattle with torches tied to their horns, and in the meantime... Hannibal's army had slipped away through the pass that the Romans had left unattended. Hannibal then marched to the Roman supply depot of Cannae, which he took easily, and then gave his men time to rest. The Romans sent two consuls, Lucius Aemilius Paulus and Caius Torrentius Varro, with a force of over 50,000 men against his position. Hannibal had less than 40,000 men under his command. As always, Hannibal spent time learning about his enemy, their strengths and weaknesses, and he knew that Varro was eager for a fight and overconfident of success. As the two consuls traded off command of the army on alternative days, it worked to Hannibal's advantage that the more ambitious and reckless of the two, Varro had supreme authority on the day of battle. Hannibal had arranged his army in a crescent, placing his light infantry of Gauls at the front and center with the heavy infantry behind them and the light and heavy cavalry on the wings. The Romans under Varro's command were placed in a traditional formation to march towards the enemy's center and to break them. Varro believed he was facing an opponent like any of the others that the Roman legions had easily defeated in the past and was confident that the strength of the Roman force would break the Carthaginian line. This was precisely the conclusion that Hannibal hoped he would reach. When the Roman army advanced, the center of the Carthaginian line began to give away, so it seemed as though Varro had been correct and the center would break. The Carthaginian forces fell back evenly, however, drawing the Romans further and further into their lines, and then the light infantry moved to either end of the crescent formation, and the heavy infantry advanced to the front. At the same time, the Carthaginian cavalry engaged the Roman cavalry and dispersed them, falling then to the rear of the Roman infantry. The Romans, continuing in their traditional formation with their well-rehearsed tactics, continued to press forward, but now they were only pushing those in the front lines into the killing machine of the Carthaginian heavy infantry. It was at this point that the Carthaginian cavalry closed the gap from behind, and then the forces of Rome were completely surrounded. Of the 50,000-plus Roman soldiers who took the field that day, only about 10,000 managed to escape. 44,000 were killed, while Hannibal lost about 6,000 men. 
It was a devastating defeat for Rome, which resulted in a number of Italian city-states defecting to Hannibal, and Philip V of Macedon declaring in favor of Hannibal's side, thus also initiating the First Macedonian War with Rome. The people of Rome mobilized quickly to defend their city, which they were sure Hannibal would move on next. Veterans and new recruits alike refused pay in order to defend the city. Hannibal, however, could make no move on Rome because he lacked siege engines and reinforcements for his army. His request for these necessary supplies was refused by Carthage because the Senate didn't want to exert the effort or spend the money. Hannibal's commander of the cavalry, Marhabal, encouraged Hannibal to attack anyway, confident that they could win the war at this point when the Roman army was in disarray and the people in panic. When Hannibal refused, Marhabal was renowned as saying, quote, You know how to win a victory, Hannibal, but you do not know how to use it. End quote. Hannibal was right, however. His troops were exhausted after Cannae, and he had neither elephants nor siege engines to take the city. He did not even have enough men to reduce the city by encircling it for a long siege. If Carthage had sent the requested men and supplies at this point, history would have been very different, but they did not. Further Campaigns and the Battle of Zama Among the Roman warriors who survived Cannae was the man who would come to be known as Scipio Africanus the Elder. Scipio's father and uncle, two of the former commanders, had been killed, and when the Roman Senate called for a general to defend the city against Hannibal, all the most likely commanders refused, believing after Cannae that any such command was simply a suicide mission. Scipio, only 24 years old at the time, volunteered. He left Rome with only 10,000 infantry and 1,000 cavalry to meet Hannibal's much larger force. Scipio began his offensive in Spain. He started by taking the Barsid capital city of Carthago Nova and then proceeded to drive Hannibal's brother, Hasdrubal, from the field at the Battle of Baecula. At the Battle of Mataris River in 207 BCE, Hasdrubal was killed and his forces scattered. Scipio then requested money and supplies from the Roman Senate to take the fight to Hannibal by attacking Carthage. This was a move that he was sure would force Carthage to recall Hannibal from Italy to defend the capital. The Roman Senate initially refused him, and so Scipio shamed them by raising his own army and then appealing to the people of Rome for support. The Senate then relented and gave him command of Sicily from which to launch his invasion of North Africa. Hannibal, in the meantime, was forced to continue his previous strategy of striking at Rome in quickly orchestrated engagements and trying to win city-states to his cause without being able to take any city by siege. The historian Matizak writes, quote, In the field, Hannibal remained unmatched. In 212 and 210, he took on the Romans and defeated them. But he now understood that the wound Rome had received at Cannae had not been mortal. The flow of defections to the Carthaginian side began to slow and then stopped. End quote. In Spain, the Carthaginians had been defeated by Scipio, but Hannibal had no knowledge of this until a Roman contingent threw his brother Hasdrubal's head into his camp with the news that Spain was now under Roman control. By this time, Scipio was already set to invade North Africa, and his plan would work exactly as he predicted. 
In 205 BCE, he landed his forces and allied himself with the Numidian king Massinissa. He quickly took the Carthaginian city of Utica and then marched onward towards Carthage. Hannibal, as predicted, was recalled from Italy to meet this threat, and the two forces met on the field in 202 BCE at the Battle of Zama. Scipio had studied Hannibal's tactics carefully in the same way that Hannibal had always taken pains to know his enemy and outthink his opponents. He had no experience in facing Scipio, however, and only knew him as this young general who had somehow managed to defeat Hasdrubal in Spain. Scipio seemed to conform to Hannibal's expectations when he arranged his forces in the traditional formation in a seemingly tight cluster. Hannibal was certain he could scatter these Romans easily with an elephant charge, but Scipio used his front line as a screen for a very different kind of formation. Instead of the closely packed configuration presenting a horizontal front across the line, the formation that Hannibal saw from his position, he arranged his troops in vertical rows behind the front line. When Hannibal launched the elephant charge, Scipio's front line simply moved aside and the elephants ran harmlessly down the alleys between the Roman troops, who then killed their handlers and turned the elephants around to crush the ranks of the Carthaginians. Hannibal was thus defeated and the Second Punic War was over. Later Years and Legacy After the war, Hannibal accepted a position as chief magistrate of Carthage in which he performed as well as he had as a military leader. The heavy fines imposed on defeated Carthage by Rome intended to cripple the city were easily paid off owing to the reforms Hannibal initiated. The members of the Senate, however, the very same ones who refused to send him aid when he needed it in Italy, accused him of betraying the interests of the state by not taking Rome when he had the chance. But still, Hannibal remained true to the interests of his people until the senators trumped up further charges and denounced Hannibal to Rome. Ironically, they claimed that he was making Carthage a power again so as to challenge the Romans. Exactly why they decided to do this is still unclear, except for their disappointment in him following defeat at Zama and simply jealousy over his abilities. Back in Rome, Scipio was also dealing with problems posed by his own senate as they accused him of sympathizing with Hannibal by pardoning and releasing him, accepting bribes, and misappropriating funds. Scipio defended Hannibal as an honorable man and kept the Romans from sending a delegation demanding his arrest. But Hannibal understood it was only a matter of time before his own countrymen turned him over, and so he fled the city in 195 BCE. He fled to the city of Tyre and then moved onwards towards Asia Minor, where he was given the position of consultant to King Antiochus III, a Seleucid king. Antiochus, of course, knew of Hannibal's reputation and did not want to risk placing so powerful and popular a man in control of his armies, and so kept him at court until necessity drove him to appoint Hannibal admiral of the navy in a war against Rhodes, one of Rome's allies. Hannibal was an inexperienced sailor, as was his crew, and he was defeated even though, much to his credit, he came close to winning. When Antiochus was defeated by the Romans at Magnesia in 189 BCE, Hannibal knew that he would be surrendered to the Romans as part of the terms, and again he took flight. At the court of King Prusius of Bithynia in 183 BCE, with Rome still in pursuit, 
Hannibal chose to end his life rather than be taken by his enemies. He said, quote, Let us put an end to this life which has caused so much dread to the Romans, end quote, and then drank poison. He was 65 years old. During the same time in Rome, the charges against Scipio had disgusted him so much that the man retreated to his estate outside the city and left orders in his will that he be buried there instead of in Rome. He died the same year as Hannibal, at the age of 53. Hannibal became a legend in his own lifetime, and even years after his death, Roman mothers would continue to frighten their unwilling children to bed with the phrase, Hannibal ad Porto. Hannibal is at the door. His campaigns across the Alps, unthinkable even in this day, won him the grudging admiration of his enemies and enduring fame ever since. Hannibal's strategies, learned so well by Scipio, were incorporated into Roman tactics, and Rome would consistently use them to good effect following the Battle of Zama. After the deaths of Hannibal and Scipio, Carthage continued to cause problems for Rome, which eventually resulted in the Third Punic War, 149 to 146 BCE, in which Carthage was destroyed. The historian Ernley Bradford writes that Hannibal's war against the Romans, quote, may be regarded as the last effort of the old Eastern and Semitic peoples to prevent the domination of the Mediterranean world by a European state. That it failed was due to the immense resilience of the Romans, both in their political constitution and in their soldiery. End quote. While there is some truth to this, Hannibal's ultimate defeat was brought about by his own people's weakness for luxury, wealth, and ease, as much as by the Romans' refusal to surrender after Cannae. There is no doubt, as Bradford also notes, that had Hannibal, quote, been fighting against any other nation in the ancient world, his overwhelming victories would have brought them to their knees and to an early capitulation. End quote. But the cause of Hannibal's defeat was just as much the fault of the Carthaginian elite who refused to support the general and his troops who were fighting for their own cause. No records exist of Carthage ever awarding Hannibal any recognition for his service in Italy, and he was honored more by Scipio's pardon and defense than any action on the part of his own country. Even so, he continued to do his best for his people throughout his life and remained true to the vow that he had taken when young. To the end, he remained an enemy of Rome, and his name would be remembered as Rome's greatest adversary for generations and even to the present day. This recording was brought to you by Ancient History Encyclopedia, a nonprofit organization. If you want to help support our work, you can support us on Patreon by following the link in the description below. To read more articles on ancient history, please visit www.ancient.eu. And if you're interested in historical podcasts, especially about the Punic Wars and Hannibal, please visit Flashpoint History, now available on iTunes, YouTube, and Google Play. Thank you.